ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were halfway through the previous chapter and we had arrived at the hadith of Anas the hadith which is in al-Bukhari and Muslim where the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said or it is mentioned by Anas who said shujjan nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam yawma uhud وَكُسِرَتْ رُبَاعِيَّتُهُ فَقَالْ كَيْفَ يُفْلِحُ قَوْمٌ شَجُّ نَبِيَّهُمْ فَنَزَلَتْ لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ In this narration then, Anas رضي الله عنه mentions that the Prophet ﷺ was wounded in his head, in his face, on the day of Uhud, during the battle of Uhud. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentions, شُجَّ النَّبِي الشَّجَّةِ that this is a type of wound that occurs in the head and the face specifically. So the Prophet ﷺ was injured in his face on the battle of Uhud. يَوْمَ أُحُدْ جَبَلٌ يَقَعُ فِي الشَّمَالِ الشَّرْقِ مِنَ الْمَدِينَةِ Uhud is of course the famous mountain that you are aware of to the northeastern side of Medina, حصلت عنده وقعة أحد في السنة التي بعد وقعة بدر. The battle of Uhud occurred in the year after the battle of Badr. In the seerah, you know that the battle of Badr occurred in what year? What year Hijri did the battle of Badr occur in? So the battle of Badr occurred in the second year of Hijri and the battle of Uhud occurred in the third. فَالْمُشْرِكُونَ تَجَمَّعُوا وَأَرَادُوا الْإِنْتِصَارَ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ وَجَمَعُوا جُنُودًا بِقِيَادَةِ أَبِي سُفْيَانِ بْنِ حَرْبِ So after the battle of Badr, where the Mushrikun had been defeated, they wanted to gain revenge upon the Muslims. So they gathered their army to try and seek victory for themselves, and they came under the leadership of Abu Sufyan ibn Harb. جَاءُوا يُرِيدُونَ الْإِنْتِقَامُ 
من الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وأصحابه they came wanting to get revenge upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions alladhina asabuhum yawma badr those who had overcome them and defeated them on the battle of badr jau wa nazalu inda hadha al-jabal so the mushrikun they came and they landed or they stopped at this mountain the mount of Uhud فَخَرَجَ إِلَيْهِمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِأَصْحَابِهِ الْكِرَامِ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ And so the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he and his companions, they went out from central Medina, they went out to where Uhud is to face the kuffar. وَالْتَقَى بِهِمْ فِي هَذَا الْمَكَانِ وَنَظَّمَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْمُقَاتِلِينَ So when the army of the Muslims came to Uhud and the kuffar, they were there, the Prophet ﷺ organized his army, organized the believers, the fighters. وَجَعَلَ عَلَى الْجَبَلِ الَّذِي خَلْفَهُمْ جَمَاعَةِ مِنَ الرُّمَاهِ And he placed a battalion or a number of his men on the mountain or the smaller mountain that was behind them, he placed a number of archers onto that mountain. And they would be able to cover the Muslims' backs to make sure that they were not attacked from behind in any way. And then the battle it begun, والرماه على الجبل يحرسون المسلمين And the archers were on that mountain, protecting the backs of the Muslims, making sure the kuffar could not come and attack from an angle they could not see. وصار النصر في الأول للمسلمين لما كانوا يمشون على خطة الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم And initially when the battle began, the believers initially defeated the mushrikun. Initially, the believers defeated them and the mushrikun retreated. That was when the believers, they were all upon the plan of the Prophet wasallam, upon the, the, the war plan that the Prophet wasallam had devised. When they were sticking to that and implementing it, they initially had defeated the mushrikun, and the mushrikun had retreated. To the extent that the mushrikun retreated and the Muslims began collecting the war booty, the battle was over. They began collecting the war booty. So the archers who were on top of the other mount, when they saw this, that the mushrikun have retreated and the Muslims are just gathering the war booty now, they assumed the war, the battle is over, done. The mushrikun have been pushed back, gone, finished. 
فَقَالُوا نَنْزِلُ نُسَاعِدُ إِخْوَانَنَا عَلَى جَمِعِ الْغَنَائِمِ So they said, let's go down. Let's go down, it's finished. Let's go down and help our brothers to collect the war booty. فَقَالَ لَهُمْ قَائِدُهُمْ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ جُبَيْرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ لَا تَنْزِلُوا But their leader, the one who had been put in charge there, Abdullah ibn Jubair, he said to them, do not go down. Do not leave your positions. Because that's what they had been told to do. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had told them, لَا تَتْرُكُ الْجَبَلِ سَوَاءً انْتَصَرْنَا أَوْ هُزِمْنَا They had been told, do not leave your positions from the mount. Whether we are victorious or we are defeated, do not leave your positions here. سَوَاءً انْتَصَرْنَا أَوْ هُزِمْنَا وَلَكِنَّهُمْ خَالَفُوا قَائِدَهُمْ وَنَزَلُوا But they opposed their leader there, Abdullah ibn Jubair, and they went down. Believing that the battle is finished, it's done, that's it, let's go. Help them collect the war booty. So they disobeyed what Abdullah ibn Jubair told them. And they went down. فَلَمَّا رَأَى خَالِدِ بْنُ الْوَلِيدِ وَكَانَ يَوْمَ ذَاكْ مُشْرِكًا لَمَّا رَأَى الْجَبَلْ فَرَغْ But then when they came down, and that position was now vacant, and Khalid ibn al-Walid, in those days at the time of Uhud, he was still with the Mushrikun, when he saw that those positions have now been cleared, and there is no archers there to attack them from that angle, when he saw that, and he, Khalid ibn al-Walid, was known for his courage and bravery, and he was known for his skill in warfare. Khalid ibn al-Walid was known for his skill in warfare. So when he saw that position has now become vacant, that angle has now become vacant, he knew that there was now a possibility for them to come from that angle and attack. He knew that possibility had now opened up, and so he took that possibility. And so the mushrikun came around from that angle where there was no threat on them now, no archers were there to attack. So they came in from that side and the battle begun again. The fighting restarted. فَدَارَ بِمَنْ مَعَهُ وَانْقَضُوا عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ مِنَ الْخَلْفِ So Khalid ibn al-Walid and those men he had with him, when they saw the opportunity, they went around and they came in from there and attacked the Muslims from behind. And then there were those who were killed at that time. وَمَا شَعَرَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ إِلَّا وَالْمُشْرِكُونَ يَضْرِبُونَهُمْ مِنَ الْخَلْفِ The Muslims were collecting the war booty. The kuffar had initially retreated. The archers came down. Khalid ibn walid as they were retreating, noticed that and realized they can now come in from the other side. So they went and came in from that side and began attacking. Before the Muslims even realized what was happening. That the kuffar have come back around again from that side. The archers have left their positions. Before the believers even realized what was happening, they were being attacked from that side. 
فَحِينَ إِذِنْ اِخْتَلَطَ الْجَمْعَانِ So then the two armies, they collided once again. الْمُسْلِمُونَ وَالْكُفَّارِ وَدَارَةِ الْمَعْرَكَ مِنْ جَدِيدًا So the battle began again. وَأُصِيبَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عُقُوبَةً لَهُمْ بِسَبَبِ مُخَالَفَةِ أَمْرِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم. And so that time now, the second time now when the battle reignited and the Muslims were taken by surprise and attacked, then some of the Muslims were afflicted and some of the Muslims were harmed and killed, martyred in that uh, occurrence which occurred. And that was due to their disobedience to the Prophet They did not stick to the positions they had been told to stick to. They turned and came down from those positions. And there are ayat in the Qur'an that speak about this battle of Uhud and what happened. There are different ayat in different parts. And in that battle then, when the mushrikun came back around and attacked by surprise, One of the believers or from amongst them who was injured himself was the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam shujja fi ra'sih. He was struck in the face, in the head. He was wearing his helmet, the war helmet. And he was struck with some missile that the kuffar had thrown. Struck. On his helmet that he was wearing, the helmet had a huge dent in it from this missile, whatever it was that struck him, and the helmet was dented, and the tooth, one of his teeth, was broken and it fell out. One of his teeth was broken from that uh, item that hit him, and when he was struck, he fell. Into a pit. وَقَعَ فِي حُفْرَةِ وَأَشَاعَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا قَدْ قُتِلِ And the mushrikun, they began spreading, Muhammad's being killed. Because they threw the missile, it struck him, his tooth broke, there must have been some blood, he fell down. They began saying, we've killed him. Muhammad has been killed. فَلَمَّا أَشَاعَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ هَذِهِ الشَّائِعَةِ وَصَاحَ الشَّيْطَانُ بِذَلِكَ So when the mushrikun started spreading that, we've killed Muhammad, Muhammad is dead. And they started spreading this, and this word started to be heard everywhere amongst them, we've killed him, we've killed Muhammad. Then when the Muslims started hearing this as well, it's a big battle going on, people everywhere, chaos. And they started hearing, Muhammad has been killed. The messenger has been killed. حَصَلَ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ مُصِيبَةً أَكْبَرْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةِ الْقَتْلِ كُلُّ هَذَا بِسَبَبِ الْمَعْصِيَةِ So then they were overcome, the believers were overcome at that time with a great calamity. And of course the messenger hadn't died, but overall the calamity that struck the believers then was a tremendous calamity. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, أُنظُرُوا يَا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ معصية واحدة وليست من الجميع وإنما هي من بعض الصحابة حصل بسببها هذه العقوبة على خير الخلق He says look O servants of Allah one sin one issue coming down from the mountain one sin which occurred not from all of them 
just from a group of them. And yet, this huge calamity befell all of them, even the messenger himself was struck. فَكَيْفَ بِنَا نَحْنُ So what therefore of us? These were companions. And what occurred in the battle of Uhud? What therefore of us? نَحْنُ نَرْتَكِبُ مِنَ الْمَعَاصِي وَالْمُخَالَفَاتِ الشَّيْءَ الْكَثِيرِ We all transgress and commit so many sins. This was one opposition that occurred from them. One opposition to the command of the Prophet ﷺ. One opposition from just a group of them. And yet this huge calamity befell the Muslims after that when Khalid ibn Walid came from behind and attacked. And the messenger himself was struck and he fell down into a pit. And they began saying, we've killed Muhammad. All of that calamity from one opposition that occurred. So the Shaykh says, what therefore? of our state and how many oppositions, how many sins we fall into. وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ فَهَذَا فِيهِ خُطُورَةُ الْمَعَاصِي This therefore indicates the great danger of sinning. وَمُخَالَفَةُ أَمْرِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم And the great danger in opposing the command of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم ثم نعم شجع النبي وهذا دليل على أن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم لا لا يملك لنفسه ضرا ولا نفعا فلا تجوز عبادته. This story is just another example to to refute those who exaggerate in the rights of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and they begin saying he was made out of light and he had knowledge of the unseen. If the messenger had knowledge of the unseen, then how did all of this happen? If he had knowledge of the unseen, how was he struck? All of these events indicate to you that the messenger does not have knowledge of the unseen. And that he is not of the attributes of Allah. And he is not to be worshipped. And that is an exaggeration the people fell into and an extremism and deviancy they fell into in raising the messenger over and above his status, claiming he has knowledge of the unseen and other affairs. How does he have knowledge of the unseen and all of these events they occurred? Knowledge of the unseen, yet he was struck himself. So this indicates the false aqidah of the people regarding the messenger. وَهَذَا مِنْ أَدِلَّةِ بُطْلَانِ الشِّرْقِ أن المخلوق وإن بلغ من المنزلة العالية فإنه مخلوق لا يستحق شيئا من العبادة. This therefore shows that no matter what level a person gets to, then he is not deserving of any worship. فأشرف الخلق محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وقع عليه الضرر. The greatest of mankind, the most dignified and noble of mankind, and yet he was overcome by this harm which occurred to him. Wajuriha, and he was wounded. This indicates, therefore, that it is not permissible to worship him besides Allah. 
وَإِذَا كَانَ كَذَلِكَ فَغَيْرُهُمْ مِنْ بَابِ أَوْلَى And if that is the case, that the messenger cannot be worshipped and you cannot make dua to him and call upon him, then anybody lower than the messenger, anybody else from the awliya, whoever you claim, they are not at the level of the messenger. If the messenger cannot be worshipped, then certainly all of these other so-called awliya, whatever their levels are, they are not deserving of worship either. And that is as Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, قُلْ لَا أَمْلِكُ لِنَفْسِي نَفْعًا وَلَا ضَرًّا إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ Say that I do not control for myself, benefit no harm except what Allah wills. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ لَسْتَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ وَمَا مَسَّنِي السُّوءِ And if I had knowledge of the unseen, then I would have done much good and no harm would have come to me. If he had knowledge of the unseen, knew what was going to happen, then no harm would ever come to him. So these are all evidences that the Prophet ﷺ is not to be worshipped. He is to be followed and obeyed in the worship of Allah, not in the worship of the Messenger. So when the Messenger <coughs> was struck by the mushrikun and his tooth broke and he fell he said kayfa yuflihu qawmun shajju nabiyyahum how are these people ever going to be successful they wounded the prophet who was sent to them meaning the messenger considered it to be far fetched that those mushrikun would ever be guided, that they do such acts to this level, they throw a missile at the messenger, wounding him, breaking his tooth, the messenger says, how could it be that these people are ever going to be successful? Meaning, that he considered it to be far-fetched, that they would ever accept the truth that they would ever accept Islam, that they would ever be successful, that their du'as would ever be answered. However, when this occurred, the ayah was then revealed, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ That you do not have any control in the affair to the messenger, that you do not have any control in the affair. دَلِيلٌ آخَرٌ عَلَىٰ عَدَمِ اسْتِحْقَاقِهِ لِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْعِبَادَةِ الْأَمْرُ فِي هَذَا الْكَوْنِ وَالتَّدْبِيرِ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّمَا الرَّسُولُ مُبَلِّغٌ عَنِ اللَّهِ So when the messenger said, how are they ever going to be successful? As though to say, it's unlikely they will ever accept Islam, they will ever be guided, they do such atrocities, the Prophet who's been sent to them, they wound him. But then Allah said, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شيء. You do not have any control over the affair. This therefore indicates again, the messenger is a messenger. He is not with the attributes of Allah or deserving of worship. The control of the affairs, the decree, and what, who is going to accept the truth, who is not, that is in the control of Allah. 
Even their leader on that day, Khalid ibn Walid, who did it afterwards, became Muslim. So then, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ You do not have any control over the affair. لَا أَمْرُ النَّصْرِ وَلَا أَمْرُ الْهَزِيمَةِ وَلَا أَمْرُ التَّوْبَةِ وَلَا أَمْرُ الْفَلَاحِ وَلَا أَمْرُ الدُّخُولِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ وَالْهِدَايَةِ That you do not have any control over that affair. In terms of who wins the battle, who is defeated in the battle, who will make tawbah and accept the truth, who will be successful, who will enter into Islam, who will be guided, all of those affairs, you do not have any control over those affairs, the messenger was informed. فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغِ وَعَلَيْنَا الْحِسَابِ Allah said, you, upon you, is to convey. Convey the message. Upon us, upon Allah, is the accountability of the people. So that is the first example in this section to highlight the impermissibility of worship to anyone besides Allah, giving you the example that even the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah is telling him, you do not have any control of the affair. You do not have any control over the affair of who is guided, who is not, who is successful, who is not. All of those affairs are in the control of Allah. So how can it be that the people are calling upon others besides Allah? These others who do not have any control over any affair. Even the messenger, the best of creation is being told, you do not have control over this affair. So all of these other awliya, no matter what level they claim they've got to, they haven't got to the level of the messenger. And the messenger is being told, you do not have control over this affair. So all of these other awliya, whatever the level they claim, also definitely do not have any control over the affair. So why are you calling upon them? Why are you sacrificing to them? Why are you doing tawaf around their graves? Why are you calling upon them, seeking intercession from them? They do not have any control over any of the affair. All of the control is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it goes on to mention the hadith of Ibn Umar. Radiyallahu anhuma annahu sami'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul Iza rafa'a ra'sahu minal ruku'i fi raka'atil akhirati minal fajr Allahumma la'an fulanan wa fulana بعدما يقول سمع الله لمن حمده ربنا ولك الحمد فأنزل الله ليس لك من الأمر شيء In this hadith of Ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab رضي الله عنهما He said that he heard the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم say when coming out of the ruku' after saying سمع الله لمن حمده رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ That he would then add a dua that he heard from the messenger. And the messenger would say, اللَّهُمَّ لَعَنْ فُلَانًا وَفُلَانًا Oh Allah, curse such and such and such and such from the mushrikun. That he heard the messenger making this dua against certain individuals from the mushrikun. Oh Allah, curse this one and curse that one. فِيهِ دَلِيلٍ على مشروعية القنوت في صلاة الفجر عند النوازل. This was basically what the people now know as the قنوت. 
that is sometimes done in the Fajr prayer. This is what it was basically. The Prophet ﷺ was making a type of qunut, making a dua to Allah. Oh Allah, curse this one and that one. And they were from the most severe of the mushrikun against the believers. And so the Messenger was making dua to Allah against them. عندما تنزل بالمسلمين النازلة من مداهمة عدو أو حصول بلاء في خطورة فيه خطورة على المسلمين فإنه يشرع لهم أن يقنطوا في صلاة الفجر. So when some nazilah occurs, some extraordinary affair, something out of the usual, some type of calamity, some type of widespread affair overcomes and overwhelms the believers, then it is legislated to make that qunut, to make that dua in the Fajr prayer. بمعنى أنهم يدعون في صلاة الفجر لرفع هذا البلاء الذي عليهم. So you can make dua in the Fajr prayer to seek for that calamity to be withdrawn from you. فالقنوت عند النوازل من سنة الرسول أما القنوت في صلاة الفجر في غير النوازل على صفة مستمرة فهذا ليس بمشروع عند جمهور أهل العلم So when there is some calamity that has befallen the people befallen the believers then yes it is sunnah to make the قنوت in the fajr make dua for the calamity to be removed but when there is no calamity no specific calamity occurring at that moment to generally make the qunut every fajr is not a sunnah. It is only at the time of some calamity occurring, something that has befallen the believers at that time, then it is a time to make the qunut in those days. But outside of that, generally all the time making qunut, the majority of the scholars say no. And it's mentioned in some of the narrations that the specific mushrikun, that the Prophet ﷺ was making dua against, وفي رواية يدعو على صفوان بن أمية وسهيل بن عمر والحارث بن هشام فنزلت ليس لك من الأمر شيء. Those individuals they were from the leaders of the مشركون along with أبو سفيان in the battle of أحد وكان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يدعو عليهم لما وقع منهم. So the Prophet used to make dua against those specific individuals. They were the leaders of the mushrikun in Uhud against the Muslims. So he used to make dua against them. Oh Allah, curse this one and that one and that one. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مِنْ حَالِ هَؤُلَاءِ وَمَا يَأُولُ إِلَيْهِ أَمْرُهُمْ وَمَا لَا يَعْلَمُهُ الرَّسُولِ But Allah knows what the end result of those individuals will be, where they will end up, whether they will accept the guidance or not in the end. Maybe die as Muslims or not in the end. That is known to Allah. It is not known to the Prophet ﷺ. فَإِنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ تَابَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأَسْلَمُوا وَحَسُنَ إِسْلَامُهُمْ And those individuals actually, all of them did in the end become Muslims. They did in the end all become Muslims and their Islam was good. وَلَمَّ ارْتَدَّ النَّاسُ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم وقف سهيل بن عمر خطيبا في أهل مكة يثبتهم على الإسلام سهيل بن عمر in fact after the death of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when people started apostating 
He is the one who stood up in Makkah and addressed them and gave them a khutbah telling them to remain firm. Remain firm upon Islam. And yet in earlier times he was with the mushrikun firm against the Muslims such that the messenger was making dua. Yet he became Muslim and then he was making the believers firm and addressing them and encouraging them not to fall into the ways of the apostates. وَقَالَ لَهُمْ يَا أَهْلَ مَكَّةِ لَا تَكُونُ آخِرَ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَأَوَّلُ مَنْ He said to them, O people of Mecca, don't be the last ones who became Muslim and the first ones to exit from Islam. The people of Mecca, they became Muslim at the end. Fathu Mecca was in the eighth year of Hijrah, a couple of years before the death of the Prophet He said to them, don't be, don't have this title that you were the last of the people to enter into Islam and now you're going to be the first of the people to exit from it. Do not have this title for yourselves. And so because of him, they were made firm and they did not fall into the whisperings and apostate like some did. So this indicates that no matter how much a person may reach in terms of his misguidance, even in terms of his kufr, then you do not lose hope in that person being guided. Regardless of what level they may have reached in their kufr, you do not lose hope that they may perhaps still be guided. لِأَنَّ الْقُلُوبَ بِيَدِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Because the hearts, they are in the control of the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this again indicates that the Prophet ﷺ did not have knowledge of the unseen. They became Muslim afterwards. Did not have knowledge of the unseen. وَلِهَذَا مِنْ عَقِيدَةِ أَهْلِ السُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ أَنَّهُمْ لَا يَشْهَدُونَ لِأَحَدٍ بِجَنَّةِ وَلَا نَارِ إِلَّا مَنْ شَهِدَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ That's why from the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that we do not testify to any specific person that they are a person of paradise. They will be in paradise. We do not make that testification, nor that a specific person, he will be in hellfire. Because in regards to that, we can only do that for those whom the messenger testified upon. As for the one who dies upon open kufr, known and dies upon open kufr, then his ruling is upon the zahir that is known. But otherwise, in terms of identifying, he's going to be a person of hell. He is a person of paradise. You cannot make the rulings like that. So these all actually became Muslims and their Islam was good afterwards. And so the same point in the hadith was mentioned that the Prophet was told, You do not have any control over this affair. When he was making dua against them, they actually became Muslim afterwards. And then Anabi Hurairah radiallahu anhu qal qama fina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hina unzila alayhi wa anzir ashiratakal aqrabin faqal ya ma'ashara quraysh aw kalima nahwiha 
اشتروا أنفسكم لا أغني عنكم من الله شيئا يا عباس بن عبد المطلب لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا يا صفية عمت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا يا فاطمة بنت محمد سليني ما من مالي ما شئت لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا In this narration then of Abu Huraira, he says that the Prophet ﷺ, he stood amongst us when the ayah was revealed to him, وَأَنذِرْ وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ That warn your close clans people, your family, your relatives, warn them also. As well as the general people, but here the ayah is talking about your close people. And when this ayah was revealed, and this ayah indicates the obligation to try with da'wah to your family members and your relatives and your close ones, this is an evidence and an example for that, to strive in the da'wah with your close ones. So when the ayah was revealed, the Prophet ﷺ he said, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, that, O oh, you, all of you, the Quraysh, or a word similar to that. Ishtaru anfusakum, la ugni ankum in Allahi shay'a. Purchase yourselves, for I cannot suffice you from Allah whatsoever. What's the English they give for that? Anyone have the English here? Sell your own souls. Sell your own souls. I will not be any help to you before Allah. The purpose of that statement is that your closeness to me in blood relation even is not going to save you. Your closeness to me as a blood relation, even that is not going to save you. I'm not going to be able to save you before Allah. Sell yourselves, meaning you, yourselves, your own souls, you save yourselves from the punishment of Allah. Iftaduha min adabillah, meaning ransom yourselves from the punishment of Allah. Save yourselves, antiduha min adabillah, from the punishment of Allah. And how do you do that? By entering into Islam. Yashtaruna anfusahum bidduhul fil Islam. Sell yourselves or purchase yourselves, ransom yourselves. How? By entering into Islam and Tawheed and abandoning the worship of all others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he says to them, لا أغني عنكم من الله I will not be able to suffice you or save you from Allah. أي لا ينفعكم أني منكم وأنتم قبيلتي that it will not benefit you that I am from you and you are from me. Meaning the blood, we are blood relatives, uncle, aunt, daughter. It will not benefit you and I will not be able to save you. That will be of no benefit to you with Allah. Again, that, eye or that hadith highlights that a person does not have his connection and his heart attached to these so-called awliya and the deceased in the graves and the great imams 
and the Muftis and the Maulanas, as the people have their hearts attached to them, they are going to save us. They are going to do shafa'a for us. The Prophet tells his own family, I won't be able to save you. You must save yourselves by being upon Tawheed and abandoning the worship of others besides Allah. And he tells Abbas, Ya Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, La ugni anka min Allahi shay'a. He tells Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, his uncle, his blood uncle, that I cannot do anything for you. فَإِذَا كَانَ لَا يُغْنِ عَنْ عَمِّهِ شَيْئًا فَكَيْفَ يُغْنِ عَنْ غَيْرِهِ If the messenger cannot even do anything for his own blood uncle, then what can he do for anybody else? Everybody must strive upon Tawheed and implementation of the religion. An example given here, إِذَا كَانَ أَبُوْ لَهَبُ عَمُّ الرَّسُولِ أَيْضًا لكنه أبى أن يدخل في الإسلام واستمر على الشرك وآذى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أنزل الله فيه سورة تقرأ إلى يوم القيامة تبت يدا أبي لهب متل The uncle of the prophet Abu Lahab did not accept Islam and persisted upon kufr and the messenger could not do anything for him In fact an ayah or a surah was revealed about him then which is recited and will continue to be recited to Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Tabbat yada Abi Lahabin wa tab, perished, destroyed be the hands of Abu Lahab. And in the Arabic language, when you say, may somebody's hands be destroyed, then it is an example to highlight, may that person be destroyed. Because if your hands are gone, it is symbolic to say that you as a person now are useless. Your hands are gone, you can't do anything anymore. So the Arabs, they say this as an example, that your hands be destroyed, meaning you be destroyed. So this is something that was revealed in him, the Prophet ﷺ, him being from his blood, from his uncle, is not something which is going to benefit him. Ya Safiyyah, the aunt of the Prophet ﷺ, same again, لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا that I cannot suffice you or save you from Allah, and even his own daughter, Ya Fatima, Bint Muhammad, Salini min mali ma shi'ti. Ask me from my wealth, whatever you want. But, in terms of saving you from Allah, La ugni anki min Allahi shay'a. That I will not be able to save you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for my wealth, in terms of the wealth, whatever I have, ask me what you want, I'll give it to you what I have. But in terms of salvation on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, then that is not in my control. That is upon every individual to be upon Tawheed, upon Islam, upon Iman, to save themselves. So these examples are highlighting to those people who fall into various types of shirk, where they have their hearts connected to these awliya, they are going to save us, they are going to do this for us, they are going to do that for us, sacrifice there, prostrate to them, do tawaf there, dua to them, shafa'a with them, connected with their hearts to them, they are going to save us. The, the sunnah is telling you, the messenger is telling his own blood relatives, blood uncles, aunts, daughters, I cannot save you from Allah. That you must save yourselves with Tawheed 
and with ibadah. So this is again to refute those people who have fallen into various forms of shirk with their hearts connected to others besides Allah. That brings us to the end of that chapter. And the next time we'll begin the chapter regarding the angels. When Allah uh, reveals some revelation, when Allah speaks in the heavens and the angels, they hear that, what happens in the heavens, what occurs, they fall unconscious, then they regain their consciousness. Some details about the angels in the heavens when Allah speaks and what happens. That is the chapter we'll begin with from next time, next week. Insha'Allah ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that chapter for now then. Any questions or anything to add? Yeah, so it's possible that you could have with the sababun nuzul the reasoning behind the revelation of an ayah. It is possible there may be different narrations that this ayah occurred with this event as the background to it, or it occurred with that event as the background to it, or that there are multiple ayat similar to one another at those different events. But those things, they are mentioned in specific books known as Asbabun Nuzul. The reasons why ayat were revealed. There are reasons, Asbabun Nuzul. You remember before when we, I think here we came across, Qul Allahu Ahad, Al-Ikhlas. What was the reason behind that being revealed? The Mushrikun, they were saying to the Prophet, Who's Allah? Describe your Lord to us. Describe Allah to us. Who is Allah? So Allah revealed, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ السَّمَدُ Describing who Allah is, that Allah is one, alone, no partners. Describing the purity of Tawheed of Allah. These are Asbabun Nuzul, you get specific books just on that. Where they go through the ayat and they go through all the hadith and the narrations, telling you the reasonings and the stories behind certain ayat and what was going on at the time when they were revealed. So sometimes you may have multiple narrations, Allah Alam. Hmm. Anybody else? Yeah, so it would indicate that kind of meaning that generally it is not befitting to specifically curse by name. That was what the messenger did there in some of the narrations with names of those people by name. And so he was told, And they all became Muslim afterwards. So that would indicate that meaning upon the apparent of the hadith. Anybody else? His parents, what about them? The parents of the Prophet ﷺ, did they die as believers or non-believers? 
non-believers. They died as non-believers, and it's in the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ requested to seek forgiveness at his mother's grave, but he was told, actually we're going to come to it if you haven't done it yet, we're going to come to that section when he was told it is not permissible to seek forgiveness for the mushrikun, those who died upon shirk. I know there is a, a, a widespread type of statement that some of the people they make, that the parents of the messenger, how can you say that? Audhu billah, and this and that. But this is what's mentioned and it is known in the sunnah. This is known and established. And it's a lot of the Sufis and their likes when they want to come along and reject some of the narrations because of their emotion. How can you say this? How can you say that? But it is in the sunnah. A person who dies upon open and apparent kufr, then the open and apparent ruling is that he's in the hellfire. Secretly, did that person secretly before his death, you know, your neighbor is a kafir, all his life he was a kafir. One day you, you find out he's died, and they've gone and done his burial. Do you know what he did in his last hour before he died? Specifically, Allah alam, what he was doing, and what he accepted this or accepted that. So the thing is, generally... Generally, a kafir dies upon kufr. The ruling is he is in the hellfire forever. The kuffar are in the hellfire forever. But there is no need to specify names. All right, we'll conclude upon that for today. Resume next week, inshallah ta'ala.